You're listening to Outlaws and Gunslingers, the only podcast covering all of America's infamous criminals, from the Wild West to the Mafia, all the way up to the ruthless street gangs of today. Brought to you exclusively by the Creative Control Network. Here are your hosts, the Mouthy Michiganders, Bang and Dang. Welcome back, Outlaws and Gunslingers, with your host, Bang and Dang. For the last couple weeks, we've been covering the Oklahoma City bombing. First episode we did was profiling both of uh, Timothy Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. Kind of a little background on their uh, growing ups and how they came to the conclusion that they wanted to bomb somebody or hurt the government anyways. And um, then part two, we took a look at the making of the bomb, gathering the materials, and obviously the bomb in itself, and the aftermath, casualties, and all the messed up stuff like that. Now, they are all arrested and uh, waiting trial, which this part, part three, will all be just trial stuff, which... uh, Terry Nichols is actually the interesting part of the trial because he had to have two trials, which we'll get to, which was kind of interesting there. But, um, you know, take you inside a little bit of the trials, the testimonies, and inside the mind further of uh, the weirdo Timothy McVeigh. Uh, first, we'll get into the actual investigation, gathering their ever- evidence, and then uh, the two trials here. Uh, obviously, the FBI is going to lead this official investigation known as OK Bomb. With Weldon L. Kennedy acting as special agent in charge. Good for you, Weldon. Kennedy oversaw 900 federal, state, federal, state, and local law enforcement personnel, including 300 FBI agents, two officers, 200 officers from the Oklahoma City Police Department, 125 members of the Oklahoma National Guard, and 55 officers from the Oklahoma Department of Public Safety. Hey, what is battles with the American Civil War going on here? Oh, Who's <laughs> the Brigadier General? <laughs> <laughs> the Crime Task Force was deemed the largest since the investigation into the assassination of JFK. Investigation to the assassination. Right. Okay, bomb was the largest criminal case in America's history, with FBI agents conducting 28,000 interviews, amassing three and a half short tons of evidence, and collecting nearly one billion pieces of information. Federal Judge Richard Paul Match ordered that the venue of the trial be moved from Oklahoma City to Denver, citing that the defendants would be able to would be unable to receive a fair trial in Oklahoma or Denver. All right, anywhere, pretty much in the USA. Might as well move it to Russia. The investigation led to the separate trials and convictions of McVeigh, Nichols, and Fortier. And Fortier. Yeah, he's not really talked about much, but uh, we'll get into it. I'm sure you can, obviously, reasons, because he he knew about it. uh, Uh, Opening statements in McVeigh's trial began on April 24th, 1997. The United States was represented by a team of prosecutors led by Joseph Hartzler. In his opening statement, Hartzler outlined McVeigh's motivations and the evidence against him. McVeigh, he said, had developed a hatred of the government during his time in the Army after reading the Turner Diaries. His beliefs were supported by what he saw as a malicious ideological opposition to increases in taxes and the passage of the Brady Bill, Brady Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act, um, that mandated federal background checks on firearm purchasers in the United States. Okay. And a five-day waiting period. Okay. Um, Okay, right. That's pretty something stupid to be pissed off about. Yeah, and... uh, his anger was further reinforced by the Waco and Ruby Ridge incidents. Understandably. Yeah. Um, oh, well, no, you got to have a background check and mm. uh, to get a firearm. You want to actually make sure I'm a safe person to own a gun? 
So I'll just go to the streets of Chicago and just get one off the road. <laughs> off the road. Off the road. The prosecution called 137 witnesses. Witness. Including Michael Fortier and his wife, Lori, mm. McVeigh's sister, Jennifer McVeigh, all of whom testified to confirm McVeigh's hatred of the government and his desire to take militant action. Wasn't his sister uh, questioned and arrested at one point, I believe? Last episode? Possibly. Both 48s testified that McVeigh had told them of his plans to bomb the Alfred P. Murrah Federal Building. Michael 48 revealed that McVeigh had chosen the date, and Lori 48 testified that she had created the false identification Aww. card. Oh, no, that McVeigh used to rent the rider truck. Oh, you idiots. You dumbass. Jeez. McVeigh was represented by a team of six principal attorneys led by Stephen Jones. According to law professor Douglas O'Linder, McVeigh wanted Jones to present a necessity defense, which would argue that he was in imminent danger from the government, that his bombing was intended to prevent future crimes by the government, such as the Waco and Ruby Ridge incidents. Okay. I'm not sure that would work. Uh, McVeigh argued that the imminent does not mean immediate. If a comet is hurtling towards Earth, he says, and it's out past the orbit of Pluto, it is not an immediate threat to Earth, but it is an imminent threat, meaning it ain't happening right now, but it's going to. Right. And he's trying to. I don't think that's much of a defense. Not at all. You could, by that logic, you can go and uh, shoot a gangbanger on the street just for standing there. Like sooner or later. Like sooner or later, he was going to kill somebody. Or rob a Snickers or something. Despite McVeigh's wishes, Jones attempted. Snickers. Right. (laughs) Rob a Snickers. (laughs) I guess. I don't know if you you can't rob a Snickers. You'd steal one, right? right. Steal <laughs> Snickers. Oh, unless the, the, unless the, the convenience store unless is called Snickers. Unless the computer, Snickers. as I say, unless the store is called Snickers. Right. Despite McVeigh's wishes, Jones attempted to discredit the prosecution's case and attempted to install reasonable doubt. Jones also believed that McVeigh was part of a larger conspiracy and sought to present him as the designated patsy. Of course. But McVeigh disagreed with Jones, arguing that the rationale for his defense. But McGay- Arguing that rationale for his defense. Right. After a hearing, Judge Match independently ruled the evidence concerning a larger conspiracy to be too unsubstantial to be admissible. Mm-hmm. In addition to arguing that the bombing could not have been carried out by two men alone, Jones also attempted to create reasonable doubt by arguing that no one had seen McVeigh near the scene of the crime and that the only investigation into the bombing had lasted only two weeks. Wait! What's going on here? Why is this lawyer trying to present it like McVeigh didn't even do it when McVeigh clearly said he wanted his lawyer to argue that he did it to prevent the government from doing another Waco? <laughs> and plus, he's trying to say there's, there's a whole line of people involved in this. Right. And I don't think so, Tim. I don't think Timothy McVeigh ever denies doing it, does he? No. Clearly not. Well, Jones presented 25 witnesses, including Frederick Whitehurst, over a one-week period. Although Whitehurst described the FBI's sloppy investigation of the bombing site and its handling other key evidence, he was unable to point to any direct evidence that he knew to be contaminated. I mean... That's the FBI for you. A lot of sloppy investigations. It wouldn't be the FBI if that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. A key point of contention in the case was the unmatched left leg found after the bombing. Oh, jeez. Although it was initially believed to be from a male, it was later determined to belong to Lakeisha Levy, a female member of the Air Force who was killed in the bombing. How do you not know? This, I mean, I guess it'd right. be all mangled and stuff, but... Wow. Levy's coffin had to be reopened so the hair leg could be replaced. Why? Oh. Oh, no. So they got somebody else's leg in there? Mm-hmm. Oh, geez. So they had to take out the bad leg and put it in the real leg. Wow. The unmatched leg had been embalmed, which prevented authorities from being able to extract DNA to determine its owner. Well, you can get skin mm-hmm. DNA, right? 
Jones argued that they could have belonged to another bomber, possibly John Doe number two. So you're saying a, a bomber died in the explosion? This guy is an idiot. Right. Holy this guy's dumb. I think he works for the FBI. <laughs> the prosecution disputed this claim, saying that the leg could have belonged to any one of the eight victims who had been buried without a left leg. Right. <laughs> I would assume so. Why are we even talking about... This has no, makes no sense. Yeah, you're trying to create uh, this reasonable doubt yeah, that the I, FBI did a shitty job investigating McVeigh, but... I can't even figure out whose leg this like, was. I figured out, so it must have been another bomber's. <laughs> and McVeigh's like, no. No, it wasn't, man. <laughs> Nobody else. Nobody. Well, Timmy or uh, Terry, that's about it. Uh, numerous damage and leaks, which appeared to originate from conversations between McVeigh and his defense attorneys, emerged. Oh, so now they're leaking stuff to the press. Oh, they included a confession said to have been inadvertently included on a computer disk that was given to the press. Yeah, inadvertently. Which McVeigh believes seriously compromises chances of getting a fair trial. Are they trying to get Why a mistrial? Would, I don't they're trying to get a mistrial. Yeah, I don't That's understand. what they're doing. Anything in their power, and it should have been actually a mistrial. Well, I don't know. Well, At this point right here, yeah. A gag order was imposed during the trial, prohibiting attorneys on either side from commenting to the press on the evidence, proceedings, or opinions regarding the trial proceedings. Right, as it should be. Right. And But one of his lawyers or somebody uh, included... His confession uh, on that computer just purposely. Let's, let's, uh, yeah. let's not mistake I this, that. I think this lawyer and his whole firm, whoever he's working with, their whole freaking thing is idiots. They're corrupt. Seems like it. Well, they're a defensive lawyer. You have to be, right? The defense allowed to enter into evidence six pages of a 517-page Justice Department report criticizing the FBI crime laboratory and David Williams, one of the agency's explosive experts, for reaching unscientific and biased in conclusions. Hmm. Not in conclusions. Right, conclusions. The report claimed that Williams had worked backward in the investigation rather than basing his determinations on forensic evidence. 2nd of June, 1997. McVeigh was found guilty on all 11 counts of federal indictment. Although 168 people, including 19 children, were killed in the April 19, 1995 bombing, murder charges were brought against McVeigh for only the eight federal agents who were on duty when the bomb destroyed much of the Murrah building. I mean, That's because that'll give it's you a, it's a federal, automatic uh, death sentence. Not, not only that, it's a federal trial, so right. you can you know, that's the only ones you can charge them for, I think. And they'll get other civil suits. Plus, killing, yeah, killing of federal employees, dude, yeah. Right. Along with the eight counts of murder, McVeigh was charged with conspiracy to use a weapon of mass destruction. That's no, not a conspiracy. Right. And destroying a federal building. Oklahoma City District Attorney Bob Macy said he would file state charges in the other 160 murders after McVeigh's co-defendant, Terry Nichols, was tried. After the verdict, McVeigh tried to calm his mother by saying, Think of it this way. When I was in the Army, you didn't see me for years. Think of me that way now. Like I'm on a way in the, uh, like I'm away in the Army again on assignment for the military. Yeah, you're on assignment, all right. Yeah, I don't think she's going to think of it that way. <laughs> I don't think so. Well... 13th of June, the jury recommended that McVeigh receive the death penalty. The United States Department of Justice brought federal charges against McVeigh for causing the deaths of eight federal officers, leading to a possible death penalty for McVeigh. They could not bring charges against McVeigh for remaining 160 in federal court because those deaths fell under the jurisdiction of... Wait, they moved it to Colorado. Right. Does Oklahoma have... Um, a federal court? Does Oklahoma do. have capital punishment? Uh, they might. Is that why they moved it to Colorado? Because Colorado does? Oh, they moved to Colorado because they... Well, supposedly, but right. maybe they wanted the death penalty and Oklahoma doesn't have it. Very possible. Because McVeigh was convicted and sentenced to death, the state of Oklahoma did not file murder charges against McVeigh for the other 160. Before the sentence was formally pronounced by Judge Match... Mash? Match? Match. Match. McVeigh addressed the court for the first time and said, If the courts please, I wish to use the words of Justice 
Lewis Brandius. Brandies, Brandies. Brandies, in and Olmstead versus United States to speak for me. He wrote, Our government is the potent, the omnipresent teacher. For good or for ill, it teaches the whole people by its example. Exactly. That's all I have. McVeigh's death sentence was delayed, pending an appeal. One of his appeals for certiorari, certiorari, taken to the Supreme Court of the United States, was denied March 8th, 1999. McVeigh's request for a nationally televised execution was also denied. <laughs> An internet company unsuccessfully sued for the right to broadcast execution. Damn, who was that? Napster. (laughs) (laughs) That's not an internet company. At USP Florence. I gotta know this. What internet company sued them? (laughs) Like, dude, we need Uh, Entertainment Network, Inc. As a a porn site. Which operates adults-only subscription to websites, claims that a federal law bar in the broadcast action. Damn, so like some porn site or whatever it was. Decided, hey, man, we want to broadcast this shit. I mean, people got some weird kinky shit going on there. Yeah, it's weird. They like to get I, off on executions. I bet you that would have been one of their most viewed videos. Oh, man. At USP Florence AdMax. Has an has a execution ever been filmed? And I'm sure it's been filmed. Released, I don't know if it's been broadcast. Well, they all get filmed because it said it would be on CCTV only. Right. McVeigh and Nichols were housed in what was known as Bomber's Row. Ted Gazinski, Luis Felipe... The shoe bomber and and Ramzi Yousaf were housed the, uh, in this in this cell block. That's the uh, World Trade Center bomber. Yousaf made frequent unsuccessful attempts to convert McVeigh to Islam. Obviously, <laughs> McVeigh said, "I am sorry these people had to lose their lives, but that's the nature of the beast. It's understood going in what the human toll will be." He said that if there turned out to be an afterlife, he would improvise, adapt, and overcome. Noting, if there is a hell, then I'll be in good company with a lot of fighter pilots who also had to bomb innocents to win the war. Oh. A little I, different, I don't think that's happening. A little different. Clearly, I don't think anybody in the war. Clearly, both of them, both of them are messed up situations, but right. a little different. Anybody in the war that actually killed people, not in cold blood? Right. I don't think they're in hell. It's possible. I don't know. You never know. I don't know. What's the Bible say about killing in war? If you're doing it. Innocence. Right. No, you're not innocent. I'm saying like right. killing innocents during war. Right. I, mean, I don't know. He also said I knew I wanted this. <laughs> he also said I knew I wanted this before it happened. I knew my objective was state-assisted suicide, and when it happens, it's in your face. Right. You just did something you're trying to say should be illegal for medical personnel. Yeah. Oh. That's a good point there, Timmy. Right. You don't let um, assisted suicide, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um but you'll inject a man, right? Hmm. The FBP, Federal Bureau of Prisons, uh, transferred McVeigh from USP Florence Admax to the uh, federal death row at USP Terry Hot in Terry Hot, Indiana, 1999. McVeigh dropped his remaining appeals saying that he would rather die than spend the rest of his life in prison. On January 16, 2001, the BOP set May 16th as, May, as McVeigh's execution date. McVeigh said that his only regret was not completely destroying that building. Jeez. Six days prior to his scheduled execution, the FBI turned over thousands of documents of evidence it had previously withheld to McVeigh's attorneys. Oh, isn't my that, gosh. Isn't that illegal? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it should have been in the mistrial or something. I mean, in this case, they're admitting it now. Why would they withhold? They all know he's uh, he's going to get found guilty. He's admitting to all this. Because it was probably stuff that could have made the FBI look bad. That and not... Reasonable doubt, right? Not right. I mean, 
The FBI is just terrible, man. Anybody that trusts the FBI, I don't care. Look Garbage. at just look at recent stuff in the last couple of years. I mean, <laughs> it's and we've been highlighting their they, mess up since they've been founded in the twenties. Uh, sure, now where or eighteen hundred or nineteen eighteens or whatever the there hell it was. was. As a result, U.S. Attorney General John Ashcroft announced that McVeigh's execution would be stayed for one month. Mm, of course, execution date was reset for June eleventh. McVeigh invited conductor David Woodward Woodard to perform Requiem Mass Music on the eve of his execution. Nice. While acknowledging McVeigh's horrible deed, Woodard consented, intending to provide comfort. All right. He's like, I'm here to just provide the guy yes. comfort. McVeigh also requested a Catholic chaplain. His last meal consisted of two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream. That's it? That's terrible. I would have everything in the possible world. Mint chocolate chip, the worst kind of, the right. worst flavor of ice cream there is ever. Ooh, it should never be an ice cream. McVeigh chose William Ernest Henley's poem Invictus as his final statement. Just before the execution, when he had asked if he had a final statement, he declined. Jay Sawyer, a relative of one of the victims, wrote, without saying a word, he got the final word. Mm, deep. Mm. Larry Witcher, whose brother died in the attack, described McVeigh as having a totally expressionless blank stare. He had a look of defiance, and that if he could, he'd do it all over again. He said that already. He said he wished. He already said he wished he blew up the whole, whole building. building. Well, after President George W. Bush approved the execution, um, since McVeigh was a federal inmate and federal law dictates the president must approve the execution, uh, he was executed by lethal injection at the Federal Correctional Complex in Terre Haute, in Terre Haute Indiana, on June 11, 2001. First federal prisoner to be executed since Victor... Faguer was executed in Iowa on March 15, 1963. Dang. The execution was transmitted on closed-circuit television so that the relatives of the victims could witness his death. Didn't they, don't they usually have, like, a, a window? Yeah, usually you usually can go there and watch it. 21st November, 1997, President Bill Clinton signed S-923, special legislation introduced by Senator Arlen Specter, to bar McVeigh and other veterans convicted of capital crimes from being buried in any military cemetery. That's a good choice. His body was cremated at Maddox Ryan Funeral Home in Terre Haute. His ashes were given to his lawyer, who said who said that the final destination of McVeigh's remains would remain privileged forever. Huh. Probably going to his mom, obviously. Right. McVeigh had written that he considered having them dropped at the site of the memorial where the building oh, once stood. No. That'd be terrible. But decided that would be too vengeful, too raw, and too cold. Oh, you know, oh, now, not, not, now that's not too, too raw or too uh, cold to blow, blow up a whole building. Right. right. Kill children. Jeez. Make a lady get buried with the wrong leg. Right. He had expressed willingness to donate organs, but was prohibited from doing so by prison regulations. <laughs> Why? Oh. It probably took him anyway. Right. Psychiatrist John Smith concluded that McVeigh was a decent person who had allowed rage to build up inside him to the point that he had lashed out in one terrible, violent act that he planned for months. Right. McVeigh's IQ was assessed at... Usually pretty damn good, 126. Yeah, genius. Pretty much, right? Close. Uh, meanwhile, on the other side, Terry Nichols, um, Nichols. McVeigh was tried before Nichols. Right. And uh, former Army buddy Michael Fortier testified against both McVeigh and Nichols. Fortier had entered into a federal plea agree agreement for reduced charges in return for his agreement to testify. Should have went for immunity, bud. Right. He was charged with failing to notify authorities in advance of the crime and sentenced to 12 years. Damn! Dang. 12 years in prison? <laughs> I don't know if that's even enough. Dang. He could have stopped it. Right. Jeez. Mm. Wow, 48. Wife got. Right, 48 testified that Nichols and McVeigh had expressed anti-government feelings and conspired to blow up the Murrah building 
He said he helped McVeigh survey the building before the attack. Oh, oh you no. He also testified that Nichols had robbed an Arkansas gun dealer to finance the cost of the bombing. Fortier provided solid bricks of evidence for the cases against McVeigh and Nichols, according to the prosecutor. He thought he was going to get away with mm, something, maybe like two years. Right. And 12 years, he's probably like, what? Nichols' wife, Marif, testified as a defense witness, but her story may have helped the prosecution's case. She said her husband had been living a double life prior to the bombing, using aliases, renting storage lockers, and lying that he had broken off his relationship with McVeigh. Mm, she's trying to get out of it. Right. She also testified that Nichols traveled to Oklahoma City three days before the bombing, supporting the prosecution's contention that Nichols helped McVeigh station a getaway car near the Murrah building. Of course he did. Damn, she turned on her husband quick. Mm, she's like, no, I ain't going down for this. Dang. What happened to the laws where you can't testify against your husband? Right. She, well, she wanted to, right? Is that a federal law, though? <laughs> Marie also failed to give Nichols an alibi for the 18th of April in 1995, the day the prosecution said Nichols helped McVeigh assemble the truck bomb. Nichols was represented by criminal defense attorney Michael Tigar. The trial lasted nine weeks. That's a long time for an open and shut case. The trial lasted nine weeks with the prosecution calling 100 witnesses trying uh, tying Nichols to McVeigh and the bombing plot. The prosecution argued that Nichols helped McVeigh purchase and steal bomb ingredients, park the getaway car near the Murrah building, and assemble the bomb. The defense attempted to cast doubt on the case against Nichols by calling witnesses who said they saw other men with McVeigh before the bombing and by claiming the government had manipulated the evidence against Nichols. Well, maybe the last part, <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> but I don't know. Right. The jury deliberated for 41 hours over a period of six days. Jeez. Damn. Acquitting Nichols oh. on December 24th, 1997 of actually detonating the bomb, but right. convicting him of conspiring with McVeigh to use a weapon of mass destruction, a capital offense. Right. They acquitted Nichols on the charges of first-degree premeditated murder, but convicted him on the lesser charge of involuntary unintentional manslaughter mm. in the deaths of the federal law enforcement officers. Mm, I don't know about that. I think it's premeditated murder. You know people are going to die. Oh, the officers, the federal officer, he didn't know about those, maybe. Of course he did. It was the whole point of doing it, because it was federal. Right. Wow. 41 hours. I don't think it's uh, involuntary or unintentional, either. Right. I'm pretty sure he knew. He knew exactly what was exactly happening. Exactly what was going to happen. Right. Stupidity. The law is so weird. Yeah. In assessing why Nichols was not convicted of first-degree murder, the Washington Post noted there was no evidence that Nichols, Nichols had rented the rider truck used to carry the bomb to Oklahoma City. And there was no one who could positively identify him as the purchaser of the two tons of ammunition. I mean, of, I always say that. Ammonium nitrate, the major component in the bomb. Mm. Most problematic for the government was the compelling fact that Nichols was at home in Kansas when McVeigh detonated the truck. Another theory is that some of the members of the jury believed Nichols' attorney's arguments that he had withdrawn from the conspiracy before the bombing. Uh, he's uh, so, yeah. I helped him do it all, and he's like, man, the, I'm having second, second right. thoughts here, guy. The oh. defense attorneys. Um, he's like, wait, are you actually really going to do this? I thought we were just. I thought we were just messing around, man. You're taking it too far. Oh, no. Man. I got, I'm going back to Kansas. Kansas. <laughs> <laughs> his apparent remorse, as shown by his crying several times during the testimony, could have also swayed the jury. Yeah. Sympathetic. Yeah. Sorry for when he did, where McVeigh was like, whatever. Right. After the penalty hearing concluded, the jury deliberated for 13 hours over two days on whether to give Nichols a death sentence, but deadlocked. Oh, no. U.S. District Court Judge Richard P. Mash then had the option to give a Nichols life sentence or a lesser term of imprisonment. Okay. 
On June 4th, 1998, he sentenced Nichols to life in prison without parole on the conspiracy conviction, calling Nichols an enemy of the Constitution. Okay. Who had conspired to destroy everything the Constitution protects. Mm-hmm. Nichols also received a concurrent 48-year sentence for his eight involuntary manslaughter convictions, six for each victim. Nichols showed no emotion. Oh, now he shows no emotion. Right. He was sent to the federal supermax prison in Florence, Colorado. On February 26, 1999, a federal appeals court affirmed Nichols' conviction and sentence. I mean, I don't think they can charge him with, uh, what was it, penalties against the Constitution or something like that, what they say it was? Well, it wasn't penalties against something they charged him with. That's just what the judge said. Everything the Constitution, yeah, but it's not in these guys' minds. They're actually protecting the Constitution, Nichols and McVeigh. In their minds. They believe that oh, the government did kill hundreds of people. Okay, but Ruby Ridge in, in their minds, Rico. the Constitution doesn't say you can go blow up a building and, uh, and uh, retribution. It doesn't say that. It does say that you can fight back against your own government. Okay. Overthrow. What's overthrow mean? Does that have to be peaceful or deadly? That's why it's a, um, what do they call it? A interpreted, you'd interpret, you can interpret the Constitution in many ways. Right. So I don't believe the, uh, an enemy of the Constitution thing there because these guys actually thought that they were upholding the Constitution by stopping a corrupt government, which killed over hundreds and hundreds of people. Yeah, but and- stopping a corrupt government, they had nothing to do that. The the building they blew up had nothing to do with what they were mad about. That's true. I, don't know, I think it was kind of uh, two uh, criminals going after each other there and the bigger criminal, which is the federal <laughs> government, won. <laughs> Oklahoma State case that we go to. After the federal jury deadlocked on a death penalty, which resulted in life sentence, citizens of Oklahoma petitioned to impanel a state court grand jury to investigate the bombing. State Representative Charles Key led a, led a citizens group that circulated the petitions. It was hoped that evidence implicating other conspirators would be uncovered. It never will be. be. A grand jury heard testimony for 18 months about allegations of other accomplices, but returned only indictments against Nichols in March of 1999. Okay. I mean, you aren't going to find a nobody waste else. of 18 months. Right. They uh, told you guys there was nobody right. else. Oklahoma County District Attorney Wes Lane denied the state prosecution was conducted solely for the purpose of having Nichols executed, saying it was important Nichols be convicted of killing all the victims. That's why the trials weren't held in Colorado, right. Oklahoma. <laughs> this case has always been about 161 men, women, and children, and an unborn baby having the same rights to their day in court as eight federal law enforcement officers. It's true. I see that. Yeah. It's true. Um, Nichols was brought from the prison in Colorado to Oklahoma in January of 2000 to face a state trial on 160 capital counts wow. of first-degree murder and one count each of fetal homicide, oh first-degree arson, and conspiracy. Why would they only do it for Nichols, though? Well, they couldn't because... Timothy McVeigh already got the death penalty. Right, and they so. decided not to charge him. <laughs> the prosecutor's goal was to get the death penalty. During the two-month trial, the prosecution presented a mountain of circumstantial evidence. Oh, circumstantial. Calling 151 witnesses. Their star witness was Fortier, a who said Nichols was intimate, intimately involved in the conspiracy and had helped obtain bomb ingredients, including fertilizer, that would was mixed with high-octane fuel. Of course he was. Right. That was already proven in the other court. That uh, wasn't. Oh, no, yeah, that's right. 48 also testified that McVeigh and Nichols stole cord and blasting caps from a rock quarry. Which they did. Yeah. And that Nichols robbed a gun collector to obtain money for the plot. Which they did. Nichols' lawyer said that he was the fall guy. Uh. And the others had conspired. Here we go again. No, we didn't. There was no others. Jeez. How, why do these lawyers keep on saying this when McVeigh and Nichols are like, dude, there's no. 
They wanted to introduce evidence that a group of white supremacists had been oh, McVeigh's no. accomplices. Here we go. However, However, the judge did not allow them to do so of because course. it was complete fabricated bullshit. Of course it was. Uh, <laughs> saying that the defense had not shown that any of these people committed acts in furtherance of the conspiracy. Right. In their concluding argument, the defense said, people who are still unknown assisted Timothy McVeigh. Oh, my goodness. On May 26, 2004, the six-man, six-woman jury took five hours to reach guilty verdicts That's on all long. charges. It's too long. It should have been like two right. minutes. It should have been like two minutes. Right. Walk in, shut the door, guilty. Yeah, okay, let's like, go. Judge, we don't even have to yeah, leave Yeah, we don't the need to leave. <laughs> <laughs> when the verdict was read, Nichols showed no emotion. Mm. Staring his sh- oh, What are you going to show? Staring straight ahead. I mean, you already know what's going to happen. The penalty phase of the trial started on June 1st, 2004. The same jury that determined Nichols' guilt would also determine whether he would be put to death. Mm. Obviously, you got I would write the same feel, jury. They feel different. The thing is... They feel he's guilty, but do they feel he needs right. to die for it? During the five-day hearing, 87 witnesses were called, including victims and family members of Nichols. And Nichols' relatives testified that he was a loving family man. Mm. During the closing arguments, the prosecutor argued for the death penalty, stating that 168 people had died so that Nichols and McVeigh could make a political statement. Is he allowed to mention the other eight since they're only on tri- he was only on trial for 160? Oh, I just mentioned that eight other people. Well, I mean, I guess, but the defense argued that Nichols had been controlled by a dominant, manipulative McVeigh and urged jurors not to be persuaded by the flood of tears of the victims who testified. Yeah. I mean, that's the defense's job, right? I mean, I got to do anything to get your client off, man. The defense also said that Nichols had sincerely converted to Christianity. Mm. How do you sincerely? Right. I mean, I, okay. <laughs> I thought I was mixing up severely and sincerely. Oh, right. <laughs> severely converted to. After 19 and a half hours of deliberation over a three-day period, the jury could not reach a unanimous decision on the death penalty. Mm. With the death penalty no longer an option, Nichols spoke publicly for the first time hey, in the proceedings, making a, charged twice. making a lengthy statement laced with religious references to Judge Stephen W. Taylor. Nichols also apologized for the murders and offered to write two survivors to assist in their healing process. I mean, he uh, he's basically saying anything right now. He knows he's spending his rest of his life. somebody killed my family members, I don't think I would want a, a, letter, a letter from the guy. Babe, we got a letter from Terry Nichols. <laughs> oh, <laughs> he says no. he's, he's sorry about Sherry. Jeez. Oh, oh, that's that's sweet so of sweet of him. That's sweet. Send him a, a carrot cake. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't even do that to my worst enemy. <laughs> right. Judge Taylor called Nichols a terrorist. Yeah. And said, no American citizen has ever brought this kind of devastation. Mm-hmm. You are, in the United States history, the number one mass murderer in U.S. history. <laughs> that's a stupid thing to say, Judge. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, bud. You can't repeat yourself like right. that. And sentenced Nichols to 161 years consecutive life terms. No, 161, 161 consecutive life terms. That's so stupid to say life in prison. Uh, well, life is really only like Without. 25 years or something. Right. He ain't never getting out. All right. And no possibility of parole. Nichols was returned to the federal prison in Colorado. Darlene Welch, whose niece was killed in an explosion, said that she didn't appreciate being preached to mm-hmm. by Nichols. And that she regretted that he won't stand before God sooner. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Well, to be honest, whenever you die, you don't stand before God at that moment anyway, so. Acting on a tip from her <laughs> reputed, reputed, reputed mobster, Greg Scarpa Jr., Uh-oh. son of mobster Greg Scarpa Sr. <laughs> we'll be talking about this guy in about six months. Uh, right. A fellow inmate of Nichols. The FBI searched the crawl space of Nichols' former home in Kansas. Uh-oh. Dang. So Greg Scarpa went and snitched. was like, dude, I got some evidence. Give me some time off. Like, check this shit out. Uh, they went and searched his crawl space. We give you two weeks off your sentence. <laughs> <laughs> right. They went and searched his crawl space 10 years after the bombing. They found explosives in boxes wrapped in plastic buried under a foot of rock. Tipster had indicated that the explosives were buried before the attack. Who cares? Obviously. 
Um, well, it proves that he definitely proves that he um, had and was making the bomb and stuff. You said he was. He did though. He didn't say that. He never said that. He he never admitted to anything. McVeigh. No, uh, Nichols. Oh, Nichols. He went to Nichols' home. Oh, Nichols. Okay, yeah. Mm, well, that's right. Cool. Yeah, but he can't get tried for anything else again. So, McVeigh, Nichols, Fortier were the only defendants indicted in the bomb. Indicted. In the bombing. Right. Nichols denied his involvement in the plot until 2004. Nichols' mother claimed that her son had Asperger syndrome. Yeah, if you look at his picture, it kind of looks like a weird. And was manipulated by McVeigh. He very well could have been, right. dude. And manipulated by McVeigh and didn't know what the bomb was. Oh, well, come, about on. That. come on, guys. May 2005, letter that he wrote to a relative of two of the victims. Nichols claimed that an Arkansas gun dealer also conspired in the 1995 bombing plot by donating some of the explosives that were used. I mean, I could see that. Who knows at that point, right? Well, so. gun dealer, dude, they're against. Right. They're like, I see what happened in that Waco. It, you guys are doing this for that Waco and Ruby Ridge shit? And it's Arkansas. Right. Take this ammo. <laughs> he didn't know what they were, you know. He's but that like, was the one. He's probably just thinking these dudes about to get themselves martyred. Is he talking about the one that they robbed? I think so. Yeah. In a 2006 letter requesting that a judge give his son a light sentence for assault with a deadly weapon, battery of a police officer, and possession of a stolen vehicle, we need to beat up a cop. Nichols admitted his participation in Oklahoma City bombing, but said that McVeigh had forced and intimidated him into cooperating. No. Nichols' son, apparently, is getting uh, sentenced for assault with a deadly weapon, battery of a police officer, and possession of a stolen vehicle. So Nichols is like, I'll admit my participation oh, if you give him a light sentence. Right, that's what it is. And in a 2006 letter requesting that a judge give his son a light sentence for right. assault. Okay. Nichols admitted, and, uh, and then he's still trying to say, I, I was forced and intimidated into cooperating. Yeah. I ain't got mental illness. Yeah, sure. In 2007, in a 2007 affidavit, uh, Nichols claimed that in 1992, McVeigh claimed to have been recruited for recruited for undercover missions while serving in the military. I don't think he did. Nichols also said that in 95, McVeigh told him that FBI official Larry Potts, who had supervised the Ruby Ridge and Waco operations, had directed McVeigh to blow up a oh government my, building. Where is this coming from? You know, if it wasn't the, I mean, if if it wasn't an FBI official, I would think that's crazy. But it's I might say because be it's true. the FBI, you never know. Larry Potts, <laughs> we'll have to dig up some information on you, uh, bud. Nichols claimed that he and McVeigh had learned how to make the bomb from individuals they met while attending attending gun shows. No, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. not the bomb making book they found at your house or anything. Or McVeigh being in the military, right? In the same affidavit. Um, Nichols admitted Nichols admitted that he and McVeigh stole eight cases of the gel type explosive Tovex from a Marion, Kansas quarry. Okay, some of which was later used in the bomb. He admitted that he had helped McVeigh miss the bomb ingredients and the truck the day before the attack, right. but he denied denied that he knew the exact target. Oh, you're lying, cunt! Um, Nichols wanted to testify in more detail in a videotape deposition, but federal appeals court ruled against it in 2009. They're like, "No, dude, we don't want to hear your your right. your lies that you're clearly lying about." This is re- now getting to these idiots, oh, Michael and Lori Fortier. These right. guys, especially the wife. Turned out, I bet they're still together too. Yeah, he's out of prison. Writing letters to each other in prison. Did Lori go to prison? I don't know. We'll she had to have. Life. Michael and Lori Fortier were considered accomplices for their uh, foreknowledge of the planning of the bombing. Uh, the wife, too, she admitted to she What'd making she the fake ID. Yes, I mean, I guess. In addition to Michael Fortier's assisting McVeigh in scouting the federal building, Lori Fortier had helped McVeigh laminate the fake driver's Oh, oh she, she only laminated, laminated it. it. <laughs> That would be a hell of a thing to go to prison for, like, 
seven or eight years for laminated right. ID. What'd you do? Laminated a fake ID? For what? You know, the Oklahoma City bomber. Right. Like, oh, all right. <laughs> so he can rent the truck. Damn, I wonder who had to pay the insurance claim on the truck blowing up. <laughs> uh, did you get insurance on that, McVeigh? Why? <laughs> I ain't going to be paying this shit. Mike Forty agreed to testify against McVeigh and Nichols in exchange for a reduced sentence and immunity for his wife. There you go. He was sentenced on May 27th, 1988, 12 years in prison, fined $75,000 for failing to warn authorities about the attack. Oh, $75,000, that's it? That's it. January 20th, 2006, after serving seven and a half years of his sentence, including time already served, 48 was released for good behavior. Look at him. Into the uh, witness protection oh, program. Oh, yeah, he's in the protection program. And given a new identity. Identity. Why, why would he go? I wonder if his wife went. Mm, but why would he go into the witness protection program? Um, Probably the family of the 160 people, 68 yeah, people that he killed. I don't know about that. Yeah. Why wouldn't he? Why? They don't put you in a witness protection program for that. Why would well, they? Plus, he testified against um, Nichols and McVeigh. Maybe they have family members that are trying yeah, out to get them. Their family members know. are. Clearly, it was a reason. Their family members were not even admitting their family members. <laughs> <laughs> no John Doe number two was ever identified. They all changed their name. There's no more McVeigh. Right. There's no McVeigh. Nichols. <laughs> <laughs> no John Doe number two was ever identified. Nothing conclusive was ever reported regarding the owner of the unmatched leg. <laughs> what are you gonna? What are you gonna report? Right, like, what does the leg matter? I don't understand. <laughs> Why are they obsessed with this leg? And the government never openly investigated anyone else in conjunction with the bombing. Because there was nobody else. Openly, we, uh-huh. don't, we don't know. Although the, did, although the defense teams in both McVeigh's and Nichols' trials suggested that others were involved, Judge Stephen W. Taylor found no credible, relevant, or legally admissible evidence of anyone other than McVeigh and Nichols having directly participated in the bombing. I mean, this all makes sense. If it was an FBI agent that was involved, or if the FBI was involved, this is the statement they would give. Right. It's hmm. exactly the kind of thing an FBI agency would say. Right. When McVeigh was asked if there were other conspirators in the bombing, he replied, you can't handle the truth. Because the truth is, I blew up the Murrah building. And it isn't kind of scary that one man could wreck this kind of hell. Hmm. Reek. Um on the morning, first of all, wait. Uh, 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 uh. His his reply there is stupid because the government's saying yes, one man did it. Right. The defense is the one that's trying to argue the um, right uh, multiple people thing. So your little your little thing, McVeigh, isn't as smart as you think it is. Isn't it kind of scary that one man could wreak this kind of hell? The government's saying you did. That's what he's saying, though. But isn't it kind of scary? But the government's not trying to. If, if his no. statement reads like the government's the one that's trying to push the multiple people thing, they're not. No, he was just asked if there are other conspirators in the bombing. He's like, people keep on saying that, and my lawyers keep on saying there's more. That's why isn't it kind of scary that one man could wreak this much havoc? No, basically is what he's saying. It's not. Is it that? It's that hard to believe that one man can do this much damage. Hmm. On the morning of McVeigh's execution, a letter was released in which he had written, For those die-hard conspiracy theorists who refuse to believe this, I turn the tables and say, Show me where I needed anyone else. Mm. Financing, logistics, specialized tech skills, brain power, strategy. Show me where I needed a dark, mysterious Mr. X. Yeah, why would you? I mean, you just build a bomb and park it. Within 48 hours of the attack and with the assistance of the General Services Administration, the targeted federal offices were able to resume operations in other parts of the city. Okay. Um, 
Oh, okay. Yeah, so they moved them out. Like, hey, man, we'll set you up here now. Yeah, clearly. According to Mark Potok, director of the Intelligence Project at the Southern Poverty Law Center, his organization tracked another 60 domestic smaller-scale terrorism plots from 95 to 2005. Hmm. Several of the plots were uncovered and prevented, while others caused various infrastructure damage, deaths, or other destruction. Okay. Like? Mm. Like what? Potok revealed that in 96, there were approximately 858 domestic militias and uh, other anti-government groups, but the number had dropped to 152 by 2004. Shortly after the bomb, yeah, 2004, um, three years after 9-11, all these guys are like, you know what? Maybe I do love America. <laughs> Shortly after the bombing, the FBI hired an additional 500 agents to investigate potential domestic terrorist attacks. attacks. Some of which they uh, um, participate in uh, plan. In the wake of the bombing, the United States government enacted several pieces of legislation. You know what? McVeigh's a moron. These guys keep on saying they're doing it for the good and the good. What it actually really ends up happening, just like up there, they went and started investigating all these militias. Right. For no damn all reason. These, all these militias are probably pissed off at McVeigh right. now because now they got the heat on them. Right. And they're like, McVeigh. And which militias are perfectly legal. Right. Nobody said they weren't. Right. So, now, yeah. Well, that makes them un- illegal is. I don't think you can. You can't make it a, a militia illegal. It's in no, the Constitution, right? right? Why do you think Michigan Michigan is known to be actually where we should be called the militia state? We have the most militias, I think, in all well, the I don't know about the most, but we do have some. We have a lot. In the wake of the bombing, the United States government enacted several pieces of legislation, legislation including the Anti-Terrorism and Effective Death Penalty Act of 1996. In response to the trials and conspirators being moved out of state. It provides restitution and assistance for victims of terrorism, designation of foreign terrorist organizations, and prohibitions on funding, removal or exclusion of alien terrorists, and modifications of asylum procedures, restrictions on nuclear, biological, or chemical weapons, implementation of the Plastic Explosives Convention, um, changes to criminal law involving terrorists or explosive offenses, including increased penalties and criminal procedure changes, commissioning a study to determine the constitutionality of restrictions on bomb-making materials, Funding changes and jurisdiction clarifications for law enforcement related to terrorism threats and miscellaneous provisions in Title IX. Yeah, so basically made um, penalties and um, right. investigations happen harder. Right, victims much. get money and right. all that good stuff. In the wake of the bombing, we said all that. In response to the trials and conspirators being moved out of state, the Victim Allocation, Allocution Clarification Act of 1997 was signed on March 20th, 1997 by President Bill, show me your boobies, Clinton, <laughs> to allow the victims of the bombing and the victims of any other future acts of violence the right to observe trials and to offer impact testimony and sentencing hearings. Okay. In response to passing the legislation, Clinton stated that when someone is a victim, he or she should be at the center of criminal justice process. Definitely not uh, Clinton's voice. Not on the outside looking at it. When someone is a victim. That's George Bush. Right. No. <laughs> when someone is a victim. That's George Bush. Not George Bush. I did not have sexual relations I with that woman. I did not have sexual relations. With that woman. When someone is a victim, Hillary must be tried. <laughs> Hillary. <laughs> Hillary must kill them. <laughs> in the year since the bombing, scientists, security experts, and the ATF have called on Congress to develop legislation that would require customers to produce identification for purchase an am- ammonium nitrate fertilizer. All the farmers oh, are pissed. Right. And for sellers to maintain records of its sale, which I could see. Right. 
Critics argue that farmers lawfully use large quantities of the fertilizer. They and do. as of 2009, only Nevada and South Carolina require identification for purchasers. Yeah, you're never going to get that bad. <laughs> right. Especially in um, middle of the state or middle of the uh, no, country. It's definitely not, not Oklahoma or no. No, uh, Wyoming all that. Right. Yeah, out of your damn mind. June 1995, Congress enacted legislation requiring chemical tagants. Tagents. To be incorporated into dynamite and other explosives so that a bomb could be traced to its manufacturer. Look at you. Look at you guys. Finally, guys. Look at that. 2008, Honeywell announced that it had developed a nitrogen-based fertilizer that would not detonate when mixed with fuel oil. Hey, that's probably not good for uh, food, but hey, whatever. Right. The company got assistance from the Department of Homeland Security to develop the fertilizer, Sulf-N26, for commercial use. It uses ammonium sulfate to make the fertilizer less explosive. You could probably still get away with a um, uh, an explosion, but you'd probably need, like, a shit ton of it. Yeah, and it's not going to be as good. Right. In the decade following the bombing, there was criticism of Oklahoma public schools for not requiring the bombing to be covered in the curriculum of That's, mandatory Oklahoma history why classes. Why would you require it? I mean, you got to know your history, dude. Right. Well, Oklahoma, you don't have to require it. I, why not? It's state history. That'd be like... Uh, we didn't have Michigan history in class. Oh, bullshit. We had U.S. history. We had Michigan it? history. I don't know about Michigan well, history. I, I learned me. Uh, uh, hmm? that'd, be the, that'd be like not learning about the logging industry in Michigan. It's we still, learned about that. It's totally different. How is it different? It's something that changed the course of your state. I didn't learn about the bath fucking bombing. Because you're not going to learn about. <laughs> I don't think you're going to learn about a bunch of kids getting killed in school in school. <laughs> <laughs> Why would, why would they want to teach kids about a bunch of kids getting killed in daycare? It's also... Um, like, but ma'am, but Mrs. Whoever, it also, I got to go to daycare after school. All the laws and stuff that it enacted afterwards, I mean, it changed the shape of the country. That should be a history. It's true. Oklahoma history is one semester course required by state law for gar- graduation from high school. Nice. Every state, uh, state should have a um, right. state history class that they require. However... How elbow. The bombing was only covered for one to two pages at most in textbooks. Mm. Yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? Right. Go into a three-part episode like some schmucks doing a podcast? Right. <laughs> <laughs> the state's pass standards, which means priority academic student skills, did not require that a student learn about the bombing and focus more on other subjects such as corruption and the Dust Bowl. Hmm. The Dust Bowl. That was a... Do you know what the Dust Bowl is? The Dust Bowl? The Dust Bowl. I don't. I mean, I probably do. Just don't remember it. Big ass cloud of dust swept like south southwest uh, America and killed a bunch of crops and pretty much crippled that side. It sucks. Took it out, dude. Took it out. Happens. Greatly damaged the ecology and agriculture. It happens. Uh, boop, boop, boop. On April 6, 2010, House Bill 2750 was signed by Governor Brad Henry, requiring the bombing to be entered into the school curriculum for Oklahoma, U.S., and world history classes. Nice. On the signing... Governor Henry said, although the events of April 19, 1995 may may be etched in our minds and in the minds of Oklahomans who remember that day, we have a generation of Oklahomans that has little to no memory of the events of that day. Mm-hmm. We owe it to the victims, the survivors, and all the people touched by this tragic event to remember April 19, 1995 and understand what it and what it meant and still means to this state think of, and to this nation. Think of kids that are... 15 to 18 right now. They weren't alive when 9-11 happened. Mm-mm. How are they going to learn? I mean, you got to learn about it, man. And they don't understand the... The impact right. of what happened. Like, just like we don't under- understand the impact of the Vietnam War right. on the country or right. the World War or right. anything like that. Right. Still got to learn about it, though. True. 
In the weeks following the bombing, the federal government ordered that all federal buildings in all major cities be surrounded with prefabricated jersey barriers to prevent similar attacks. Okay. Hey, look at Timmy. <laughs> look what you did, Timmy. You've just improved everything. Just improved, you just made it easier for corruption in the <laughs> FBI. Furthermore, all new federal buildings must now be constructed with truck-resistant barriers mm-hmm. and with deep setbacks from surrounding streets that minimize their vulnerability vulnerability to truck bombs right like all these federal buildings you're not gonna place them right on the edge of the uh, street no more right it's gonna be a little bit it'd be like um the courthouse in saginaw that's right. way back all right fbi buildings for instance must be set back 100 feet from the traffic the total cost of improving security in federal buildings across the country in response to the bombing reached over 600 million dollars yeah the murrah federal building had been considered so safe that it only employed one security guard oh well, yeah, how many people got walking around with guns and shit in it? Right. All the agents and stuff? I don't right. think you need a security guard. Right. In June 1995, the DOJ issued Vulnerability Assessment of Federal Facilities, okay. also known as the Marshall's Report, the findings of which resulted in a thorough evaluation of security at all federal buildings. What would security have done with a truck that has a 5,000-pound bomb in right. it? Right, they didn't even know. Uh, evaluation of security at all federal buildings and a system for classifying risks at over 1,300 federal facilities owned or leased by the government. Federal sites were divided into five security levels ranging from level one minimum to level five maximum. Alfred P. Murrah building was deemed a level four. Hmm. Among the 52 security improvements were physical barriers, closed circuit television monitoring, monitor, monitor, Monitoring, monitoring, <laughs> site planning and access, hardening of building exteriors to inque- increase blast resistance, glazing systems to reduce flying glass shards okay. and fatalities, and structural engineering designed to prevent progressive collapse. Right. Oh, yeah, dude. Glass is made so differently nowadays anyways. Oh, it's like ridiculous. It's anti-shatter. Right. If it is, uh, if it's not anti-shatter, it's tempered, so just little beads right. is not doing shit to you. The tech led to engineering improvements, allowing buildings to better withstand tremendous forces. Improvements which were incorporated into the design of Oklahoma City's new federal building. The National Ge- Geographic Channel documentary series, Seconds from Disaster, suggested that Murrow Federal Building would probably have survived the blast had it been built according to California's earthquake design codes. I don't know. Earthquakes don't blow up outside of a building. They right. just, you know, give way to the uh, structural and all that stuff. I got, well, actually, the well, blast, I got, is the blast it, was the bomb. The, the bomb hit the uh, J-20 or whatever it was, right. the, the main yeah. structural so, thing. Yeah. So, yeah. I guess, right. They said it collapsed from the ground up. Right. Well, it knocked the three floors right. up into the, yeah, like... McVeigh believed that the bomb attack had a positive impact on government policy. Yes, it did. <laughs> it, it did. In evidence, he cited the peaceful resolution of the Montana Freeman standoff in 96, the government's $3.1 million settlement with Randy Weaver and his surviving children four months after the bombing. Who the Randy Weaver guy is. The um, And April 2000 statements by Bill Clinton regretting his decision to storm the Branch Davidian compound. Not, yes. McVeigh stated, once you bloody the bully's nose and he knows he's going to be punched again, he's not coming back around. Hey. I think. Hey. I mean, it's hey, that it's 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 April two thousand when you uh, are saying this or whatever. It's two thousand. He's not president anymore. So. I know Bill Clinton's not, but uh, McVeigh. What happened just a short year and a half later <laughs> in two thousand one? Right. I was just gonna say something about uh something about uh huh something about what um uh, nothing. A variety of conspiracy theories have been proposed about the events surrounding the bomb. The bomb. <laughs> <laughs> Bomb. 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 
The variety of conspiracy theories have been proposed about the events surrounding the bombing. Some theories allege that individuals in the government, including President Bill Clinton, knew of the impending bombing and initially intentionally failed to act. Hmm. Other theories focus on initial reports by local news stations of multiple other unexploded bombs within the building itself as evidence of remnants of the controlled demolition. Hmm. Of a controlled demolition. I don't think so. That building did not collapse in a controlled demolition, dude. Not at all. And is there videos of it actually exploding? Um, I don't know. think there is. The only, only video I've ever seen is like after afterwards, yeah. right. right. Following the attack, search and rescue operations at the site were delayed until the area had been declared safe by the Oklahoma City Bomb Squad and federal authorities. Okay. They're saying because of... Right. Other bombs. Yeah. But there wasn't. Who knows? To be honest with it, Nothing I mean, is it that far fetched? Obviously, I don't think this, but is it that far fetched for that to be a thing? Um, well, what significance is the Murrah building? It, uh, you said it know. housed a bunch of federal things, right. so what's in there? That you know, right. what I'm saying. Um, not only uh, that, what did I see? If it wasn't I thought Hillary Clinton's archives, could have been. We're in the OKC building. I don't know. I believe so. We'd have to look that up. Um, I believe so. If 9-11 never happened. about to be indicted. I'm pretty sure Hillary Clinton was about to be indicted before the Oklahoma City bombings. Indicted for what? For something. In 98? Yeah. She's murdering people. Or 95? Since, she's murdering people since 75. Anyways, um, if 9-11 had never happened, I would be like, this is bullshit. But um, obviously, right? Right. According to both a situation report compiled by the Federal Emergency Management Agency and a memo issued by the United States Atlantic Command the day following the attack. A second bomb located within the building was disarmed. Wait, what? According to both a situation report compiled by FEMA and a memo issued by the United States Atlantic Command the day following the attack, a second bomb located within the building was disarmed oh. while a third was evacuated. Really? Uh, further theories focus on additional conspirators involved with the bombing. Additional theories yeah, claim... But still, it's FEMA and United States Atlantic Command... Mm. All right. Additional theories claim the bombing was carried out by the government in order to frame the militia movement or to provide the impetus for new anti-terrorism legislation while using McVeigh as a scapegoat. I think both are uh, definitely plausible. Well, then McVeigh's a damn good paid chill. Well, they got something on him. We'll kill your mom. We'll they they killed him. Yeah, they'll kill your mom and all this or whatever. Don't, I don't think he really cares. I think he cares his mom dies. I don't, it's, <laughs> I don't think he really cares. They killed him already. I think he would have said, like, hey, my last words are, the government did it. Yeah, you say that, I'm killing your mom. It's fine. I'm killing your whole family. What does he care? He's dead. Other conspiracy theories claim that foreign agents, particularly Islamic terrorists, but also the Japanese government or German neo-Nazis. <laughs> Holy shit, everybody. Hey, uh, foreign <laughs> agents, maybe Islams. Wait. Uh, maybe Japan, maybe Germans, uh, uh, Russians. Russia? Come on, where's Russia? Uh, North Koreans. <laughs> Experts have disputed the theories, and government investigations have been opened at various times to look into Well, good thing we don't believe experts. Several right. agencies, including the Federal Highway Administration and the City of Oklahoma City, <laughs> okay, have evaluated the emergency response <laughs> actions to the bombing and have proposed plans for a better response in addition to addressing... sorry. <laughs> Addressing issues that hindered a smooth rescue effort. Okay. Because of the crowded streets and the number of response agencies sent to the location, communication between government branches and rescue workers was muddled. Groups were unaware of the operations others were conducting, and thus, thus creating strife and delays in the search and rescue process. Okay. Right. That, right. Isn't there like a process where you go and you 
get one one like group is ahead, everybody doing something, you report to us. Right. See, that's where something's a little fishy there. Maybe they need a time to clean clean up their little messes that they made. Uh, get evidence destroyed improperly right. or some Somehow. shit like that. Who knows? Uh, I don't know, man. It's a little fishy. Yeah. It's hard to believe anything these days. <laughs> I know, man. Yeah. Question everything. Man. <laughs> Question everything. Man. I mean, it's, I wouldn't be shocked if it ever came out, but as of right now, I'd probably say no. Even if there was somebody involved, there was maybe one or two people, like Nifty or something. Who may or may not have had a badge. Right, and didn't, <laughs> and maybe didn't tell nobody else. Yeah, These guys were just highly like, unlikely. Right. The city of Oklahoma City, and after, yeah, the city of Oklahoma City, in their after action report, declared that better communication in single basis for agencies would better the aid of those. Yeah, let's yes. not have different uh, operations set up at the same time for this massive situation Stupidity. you're responding to. Following the events of September 11, 2001. Oh, that's why. They had to put it into play. They're like, does this work? Let's see. <laughs> let's find out. Oh. <laughs> let's, let's see. Jeez. Well, they tried in 96 with Atlanta. It's true. Finally, and that worked out well. Well. Except for framing that guy. He didn't do it. So the FBI. Oh, my Well, they goodness. didn't frame him. They did? No. They, 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 he was a suspect. And but they, they, they let him go, though. they said he was guilty. They let him go. The news channels and all yeah, that. Of course. Yeah, well, the, new, the, the media did it, not oh, the. Oh, jeez. Yeah. FBI did it, too. Well, we'll they kept get, on saying he was... Oh. Guess what? We'll get into it. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so sad. Following the events of September 11, 2001, with the consideration of other events, including the Oklahoma City bombing, the Federal Highway Administration proposed the idea that major metropolitan area create evacuation routes for citizens. Well, no shit. Right. These highlighted routes would allow paths for emergency crews and government agencies to enter the disaster area more quickly. Right. Stay off of this road. By helping civilians... In, well, by helping civilians get an... Yeah, by helping civilians get out and rescue workers get in, the number of casualties would hopefully, hopefully decrease. Hopefully, we could hope. I mean, hey, man, we can hope in one hand and shit in the other. See what's one feels first, <laughs> right? Um, unless you're constipated, then you're uh, waiting a while. Right. Well, yeah. For two years after the bombing, the only memorials to the victims. Yeah, but you know what? Having citizens around, like right away, is actually a good thing. Why? Why? Well, I guess to. Pay attention to what people are doing, but that. you're not even going to get on the scene. Good if you're if you're around, you could be there before first responders. You could be the first. Well, responder. obviously they're saying when the first responders show up and then back out, and then know, they evacuate everybody. So get the hell out of here. Rolling on out. For two years after the bombing, the only memorials to the victims were plush toys, crucifixes, letters, and other personal items left by thousands of people at a security fence surrounding the site. Okay. Many suggestions for suitable memorials were sent to Oklahoma City. But an official memorial planning committee was not set up until early '96, mm. when the uh, Murrah Building Memorial Task Force, composed of 350 members, was set up to formulate plans for a memorial to commemorate the victims. You need 350 people to do that. That's talking about waste of taxpayers' money. Why do you think McVeigh did this stuff for shit like that? The Murrah <laughs> Federal Building Memorial Task Force is definitely not federally funded. <laughs> 350 members. It's definitely not federally funded. Still. They're probably all volunteers. Nobody, right. got, nobody got paid to do well, that. I bet they did. I doubt it. The CEO is probably a millionaire. <laughs> Jeez. July 1st, 1997. The winning design was chosen unanimously by a 15-member panel from 624 submissions. The memorial was designed at a cost of $29 million, which was raised by public and private funds. The National Memorial is part of the National Park System, obviously, as affiliated area was designed by Oklahoma City architects Hans and Tori Butcher and Svensberg. Oh, Swedish. It was dedicated by is President... Swedish or uh, is Hans? Is Hans. Hans. Oh, Hans. Hans. German, right? Could be. Or Swedish. It was... 
Sven is definitely a very Sven. Sven. Yeah, I think it's like Norwegian. It's Norwegian over there, right? It was dedicated by President Clinton April 19th, 2000, exactly five years after the bombing. Within the first year, it had 700,000 visitors. You know what they're saying? Money, money, money. Money. I don't think you charged to get there. It's just like a plaque or something. They thought more than 700,000 people were going to be there, too. The memorial includes a reflecting pool flanked by two large gates, one inscribed with the time 901, the other with 903. Hmm. The pool represented the moment of the blast. Right, 901 when it happened, 903 when everything was over. It only took two minutes for the shit to collapse, right? I guess so. Right. On the south end, 901 is when he parked it. Wow. I think 903 is when he set it up. It's true. 901 is when he blew it, and then 903 is when the building collapsed. Right. Um, on the south end of the memorial is a field of symbolic bronze and stone chairs, one for each person lost. That's a lot of chairs. Dang. One for each person lost, arranged according to what floor of the building they were on. The chairs represent the empty chairs at the dinner tables of the victims' families. Damn, that's deep. Dang, and they used that 20 years later for COVID. <laughs> the seats of the children killed are smaller than those of the adults lost. On the opposite side, really hit that point home, huh? Right. On the opposite side is the survivor tree, part of the building's original landscaping that survived the blast and fires that followed it. The memorial left part of the foundation of the building intact, allowing visitors to see the scale of destruction. Part of the chain link fence put in place around the site of the blast, which had attracted over 800,000 personal items of commemoration later collected by the Oklahoma City Memorial Foundation, is now on the western edge of the memorial. North of the memorial is the Journal Record Building, which now houses the Oklahoma City National Memorial Museum, an affiliate of the National Park. The building also contains the National Memorial Institute for the Prevention of Terrorism, a law enforcement training center. St. Joseph's Old Cathedral, one of the first brick-and-mortar churches in the city, is located in the southwest of the memorial and was severely damaged by the blast. To commemorate the event, a statue and sculpture work entitled, And Jesus Wept was installed adjacent to the Oklahoma City National Memorial. Okay. The work was dedicated in May of 97, and the church was rededicated on December 1st of the same year. The church, the statue, and the sculpture are not part of the memorial, okay. but they are. Right. An observance is held each year to remember the victims of the bombing. An annual marathon draws thousands and allows runners to sponsor a victim of the bombing. Hmm. Woo! That was uh, hmm. wild, this whole... Whole case from uh, first episode to part three, right here. Wild, wild stuff. I think um, the trial stuff was had to have been even the more wildest, and the um, stuff that followed. And Timothy McVeigh did probably almost the opposite of what he wanted. <laughs> right, and these defense attorneys are some morons. Yeah, FBI sloppy, slop as usual. As usual, we'll call it the sloppy bubble of investigation. where the conspiracy theories come in, it allowed the government to do all these uh, acts, passing, and whatever you want to call them, bills. See, this major thing, they 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 had their foot in the door with passing all this um, all these legislations, mm-hmm. and then 9-11 came around, and then they really, Boom. They really uh, cemented it by doing the freedom of... Um, Patriot Act, uh, yeah. where you can spy on people who are domestic terrorists now, you know, and all that. Shit, people dude. say Obama, Obama was to start all this. All you know, I go back as far as Lyndon B. Johnson. <laughs> Serious? Yeah. See, I think see, <laughs> see, <laughs> you go back to Lyndon B. Johnson. See, <laughs> fuck him. We got the show to finish. <laughs> in the presidential rundown. <laughs> uh, that's gonna do it for our part three saga on the Oklahoma City bombing. 
pretty heavy, heavy stuff. Yeah, terrible. These last three episodes, um, shitty stuff. But do you really? Do you really want to hurt me? His meaning for doing it is kind of understandable and kind of like okay, but how he, what he did, and how he did it was stupidity. I mean, you can be pissed off at the government and want to get back at him, right. but you don't go up and blow a third of a building up and With kill innocent multiple people. just because there there happens to be a a, uh, a federal yeah. agency there, right? There's plenty of other places that were nothing but federal. <laughs> we're not advocated. <laughs> we're not advocated for blowing up specifically federal agents no, or anything like that. No, but. no, no. But if this, was, I get what you're saying. Right, 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 right. 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 But it, <laughs> just these idiots that do these things that right. have no. Right. 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 How they end up, their reasoning for doing what they did don't make sense for because of what because they did. What they did, they're basically they did the same thing the government did. Right. Because they're crazy, man. <laughs> it doesn't have to make sense. How many? Crazy. There was only eight government officials that were killed in that blast. Eight federal. Eight federal. Eight federal. Eight federal officials killed in that blast of 160, 168. Eight. So 160 innocent people got murdered. But his gripe was with the federal government. Right. And because the eight. Fed, but because the federal government went in and murdered hundreds and hundreds of innocent. Of innocent people. Right. On TV. <laughs> Nonetheless, well, Waco was on TV. I don't know about Waco, Ruby Ridge. Ruby Ridge, I don't think it was on TV, but I mean, there they shot uh, a mother that was holding her kid, her kid, sniper kids bed. in her arm, sniper. Yeah. yeah, we still got a lot to get to. There's she's Waco, Ruby Ridge, uh, Atlanta bombing. That's just bombings, and um, uh, that's federal government doing the uh, criminal, being the outlaws. Yeah, and dude, isn't so, that weird? We're gonna um, have some. Uh... You know, I say we go full force. Whatever. Maybe we'll do Waco or Ruby Ridge next. I don't know. Of course we are. Might as well just. Might as well. It's at that time. Right. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for us. This episode's running way longer than the uh, previous two have been. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, go check us out next week, which it's going to be another another investigation into another crazy, crazy situation that's happening in America or happened in America. With that being said, if you guys With are. this, though, this, I still can't get over how. Stupid and sloppy McVeigh, Nichols, and FBI. Everybody involved, how <laughs> so, sloppy they were. A typical a typical uh, was, episode that we do. He was smart enough and a genius enough to make a big old humongous, basically, atom bomb. Not an atom bomb, but, you know, freaking bomb. Bomb, right. That's what it was. And but not smart enough. But he wasn't got smart enough to put his license plate back on his car, right. or have brake lights. Was it? What? Oh, yeah, the license plate. That's license why he got pulled plate. over. St- I mean, the stupidity. And not not only that was stupid enough to use his real name at the hotel that he stayed at. Right. I just don't understand what's going on here. And old Nichols was stupid enough to bury the shit under his house. I mean, obviously they didn't see that till ten years later. But I mean, that's what the s- stupid criminals. It's why. I'd, that's a, that's why it's a thing, but yeah, we'll be back next week. If you guys are a fan of history and concerned in American history, uh, go and check out our other show called Battles of the American Civil War, where, as the name suggests, we look into the battles of the American Civil War, sort of like how this show is, just dealing with Civil War stuff um, from the first battle all the way up to the last battle. We cover every single one, and right now we're in the middle, of, ending October ish of eighteen sixty one working our way into 
the true bloodiest time of the war. This 1861 ain't been nothing compared mm, to uh, what, nothing. what we're about to see. So No, because uh, these next two years are going to be some deadly, terrible, deadly Next years. four years are going to be terrible. No, um, right. Yeah, um, but the next two are even more. Right. Mm. Um, with that, we that's yeah, Battles of the American Civil War. Come mm. check us out next week. Mm. We'll be back for another episode of Outlaws and Gunslingers with Mouth Michiganders with Dang Dang. <laughs>